Welcome to the Online Fraudcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. I committed several different types of fraud online, ended up on the Secret Service's most wanted list, spent some time in prison, and since that point, I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against the people like I used to be. Well, and welcome to our, I believe it's our 28th episode of the online broadcast. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I look back on, you know, when we started this whole thing. I mean, we were talking about it a lot longer before we launched it. I'm pretty humbled. I mean, we've literally had several thousand people listen monthly. So thanks to you guys for listening and telling your friends. We appreciate it. Yes. (laughs) it's been fun for us and we always love hearing from you too we've gotten lots of messages recently and and appreciate it too (laughs) so it's obviously conference season call it kind of like sweater season or something like that (laughs) or blueberry season (laughs) it's conference season so that's one of the reasons why we talked about collaboration last week and we really got a lot of great feedback from you guys on it and i hope that that means that as you go to conferences this week or in the next few months that you think about that and the importance of meeting new people rather than just, you know, meeting your friends that you see every year and the importance of really talking to people and not just listening, but sharing what you're seeing and doing too. No, amen on that. That's as you pointed out, I mean, a conference is one of the, one of the main ways that people can get together, network and share information. So, so certainly keep that in mind. Well, and it's not in writing either. So that's a good thing. (laughs) People are more free. And I was actually just talking to someone a little bit ago that's been in the industry for even a little longer than me. And he was saying that some of the biggest value of going to a conference is just sitting at the bar and waiting for people to get a couple drinks in them. And then they're really, (laughs) they're really free with their information. And I was like, how true that is. I've actually found out about company mergers and all kinds of stuff over cocktails (laughs) as far as at conferences. It's a lot of good intel, <laughs> especially if you can manage to stay sober while everyone else Amen. does it. <laughs> Speaking of conferences, if you're there, you're probably not listening to this this week or while you're there, but I will be at MRC this year Sweet. representing the fintech company that I've told you guys a little bit about that's working to connect issuers and merchants together in some new ways, different than what's already out there. So yeah, I'm excited. I haven't been there in four years since I stopped being on staff. So um, it'll be great to see old faces and new faces. And I'm excited to go back. It's actually uh, two days ago was the 10th anniversary of the first MRC and honestly, the first conference I ever went to. Oh, wow. Yeah, I totally had like this sentimental moment where I was like, wow, 10 years. In a lot of ways, it feels a lot longer. (laughs) Gosh, I looked young (laughs) and thinner. But yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, reflecting back on how far I've come in 10 years. And all I have to say, like to close out that topic is just that I cannot imagine where I would be and what my career would be if I hadn't attended that conference or all of the other ones that I've gone to. Just everyone. I, I meet new people. I connect with old faces, like all of that. There's just it builds my knowledge of the industry in such a good way, as well as I get to hopefully help 
move the industry along and connect with each other. So it's just crazy how I literally knew no one. And there was probably a handful of women. Um, and there was only about 200 attendees. Whereas this year, I think there's closer, it's probably close to 1500 just based on how many names I sifted through on the app. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening to this while you're at MRC, I don't know why you're not like out to the bars till three in the morning, like everyone else, but because <laughs> it's in Vegas, come see me, come say hi. Brett, I know you're not speaking at another event for a little while, correct? Uh, the 25th. Uh, so I'm doing a uh, road show with Looking Glass that uh, looks like it'd be pretty decent and everything. I'm doing like eight dates with them uh, over a six week span. So uh, going to get busy on the 25th and stay busy from that point. What cities are you going to? It's like your book tour or like your, oh, you know, geez, rock concert. I know all of our <laughs> listeners would love to hear. I mean, I'm assuming it's open. Like if, if listeners wanted to go that yeah, they might hear. be able to find out. Yeah. Let's let, give me just a sec. Let's pull this stuff up. Cause I, there's like, eight sorry, days. I'm putting you on the spot. I don't know why you'd remember <laughs> all the cities you're going to. I barely remember my travel schedule and it's half of what yours is. Well, you're traveling <laughs> a pretty, a pretty good amount right now though. I am. I am. And I, I love it. Uh, my daughter doesn't. Right, I guess that's right. good, right? When your teenager wants you to stay home. <laughs> yeah, you, can't, you can't beat that. So let's see where I'm heading to. I'm in uh, March 25th through 27th in Atlanta, then the 27th through the 29th in Charlotte, April 8th in Chicago, the 14th I'm in Denver, then I go to San Francisco on the 24th. I may be in, uh, no, 24th in San Francisco, late April. Yeah, okay. this is April. Got three or four dates in April. Then Chicago, uh, April 29th. May, I'm in uh, Quantico, Atlanta, New York, Washington, and then San Francisco. And finally, Salt Lake City is what it looks like right now. I don't hear Seattle in any of those cities, (laughs) just saying. (laughs) Well, you know I like Seattle. (laughs) I do. I do know that. (laughs) You have a pretty decent tour guide when you come over here. Oh, yes. Very good tour guide (laughs) Taking you to some nice places for dinner and such. (laughs) That's great. And so definitely if, you know, anyone lives in those cities, you might be hearing from them. (laughs) After, uh, After MRC think I'm not traveling in April, but I probably will end up traveling in April at some point. That's just how my life is right now. And I'm grateful for it. And then obviously in May, you and I will both be in San Francisco on the 22nd. Well, I'll be there for a lot longer, but (laughs) yeah. So I know we've talked about a lot on the podcast, but CMP Expo, where the opening keynotes and uh, if you use the promo code FCAST, you get a discount on the all access pass and it's early bird until April 5th. So, no. yeah, I just really, I mean, it's its not coming from a place of, oh, I work with CMP Expo, so I want everyone to come. It's honestly because we really want to see you guys. We, we love hearing from you, and I just think it'd be so much fun to fill the room with people that listen to this podcast. Very and cool. there's just so much value. I was talking to a very large company last week, and she said she's gone to all of them and stuff, and she goes to CMP for the pure purpose of talking to other merchants. I mean, also to look at, you know, what solutions are out there and everything else. But she said she gets that more from CMP than any of the other events she goes to. That made me feel good because pretty much all of those merchant-only programs I've created. So (laughs) good validation there. Yeah. So obviously we're I saw your I saw your LinkedIn post where you had that, that, that picture with Chris Hansen. The catch a predator. That's what guy. I was just referring to, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I was just referring to that with my ten-year anniversary. Yes, you know, that saw, was the picture. I, I saw her. that, and 
it occurred to me that, that some people get better with time and other people get worse. And I'm not talking about you and me. I'm talking about, well, I'm, t- I'm talking about me, but I'm talking about me. And I'm like, uh, which category am I in, Brett? Be so, careful. We're on the air. You, I'm kidding. You did, hey, you did I know. That. I I will put myself in the category. <laughs> no, no, no. But what, what I'm referring to is, is that, you know, Chris Hansen used to be this, this, this top-notch reporter and everything. And I don't know if yeah. you read that or not, but January 19th, in the Denver Post, they had an article about him being accused of bouncing checks. I didn't know that. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, how the mighty So while I become more legal. <laughs> oh, that's what you're thinking. Of. I thought you were literally thinking about, like, looks, like what no, they appearances. No, 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 no. Oh, you meant, like, yeah, p- choices. Right. You guys yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> I've got the article right here. So let's say, please say the 59-year-old Hansen wrote two bad checks to a local vendor for 355 mugs, 288 t-shirts, 650 vinyl decals that he bought in the summer of 2017. <laughs> so probably like self-promotional stuff? I guess it was $13,000 worth of bad checks, though. Oh, my gosh. That's a felony. <laughs> that's a felony, yes. Wow. This is a guy that used to catch people committing crimes. I know. Wow. Well, and the reason why he was speaking at MRC, it was 2009. I believe you were still committing crimes back then. I was in prison um, at that point, yes. You were in prison. Okay. I could. I always forget your timeline. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's hard to keep it straight. <laughs> so it's 2009. And in addition to To Catch a Predator, he did like this special, I don't know, special edition or special project i don't know what they call it but for dateline on to catch an identity thief and he went over to like nigeria to look at did you watch it from prison because that would be and evidently so that (laughs) rubbed off on him (laughs) yeah basically yeah i mean so he was like going to internet cafes and stuff in nigeria and seeing it i mean it's very biased look because i felt like it painted a picture that all credit card fraudsters and fish fishing scams were coming from that part of the world and as we know from all of your experience that's not necessarily the case so it wasn't very balanced in showing that there were a lot of other people and races and cultures involved than just that one that was why he was a keynote and i took very few pictures of that event because camera phones i mean i didn't have a smartphone back then like camera phones weren't that great but that was the one that i had and I did joke with an ex-boyfriend that I was that I slipped his name. <laughs> I slipped his name to Chris Hansen for, you know, a feature episode just to be, you know, it was, mean. It was a good but it was all in good fun. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, it's on my LinkedIn. And I was just kind of reflecting on 10 years and just convey how important I think it is to educate ourselves. And I know that there's a lot of companies that don't necessarily understand the value and don't want to pay for, you know, travel and all that. And if you're in that boat, feel free to reach out to me because I have I have things to point out to your leadership that have worked for other companies over the years that may be able to help them understand the value as well as, you know, we have the discount code and everything else. So yeah, like I know that there's people listening. They're like, well, I'd go if I could, but my company won't pay for me. So just, yeah. But it's also, I think it's good for us to stop and like look back on where we come from. Like I know you kind of do that on a regular basis when you talk at events and stuff, but I don't really stop and think about where I've come from. I just think about all that I have to do in a day, right? So I'm just kind of short-sighted and I don't take enough time to look back and go, wow, I've actually come a pretty far away. I was a single mom. I mean, I was dating Leaf at the time, but like so much has happened in 10 years. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, we've been married almost nine years now, but we weren't even engaged yet. So like, even in my personal life, it's been, you know, I also had a four year old back then. (laughs) Just so much more fun and cute, but she's still fun and cute, just different, (laughs) as you know. So as we banter, I know people say they like our banter, but I'm just waiting for the time when they're like, oh, remember when I said that I really like your banter? Can you just get to it? I let Brett pick the topic this week, as is sometimes, because I sometimes sometimes I'm thinking about so many different topics in my week that I just don't know which one you guys want to hear about. And there was something kind of timely that happened in the last 24 hours that made you want to do it. So it's not I should just preface this that it's not as credit card fraud heavy as a lot of our topics. But it is very trust and safety focused. And more and more these days, companies are having to focus on a lot more than just credit card fraud. So with all of that said, Brett, why don't you kick off the topic of the day? Sure, sure. You know, I've, I've talked to you a few times about my feelings about Facebook and this, this whole idea <laughs> of kind of this perception of reality versus the truth of reality. And, uh, Yesterday, we had this thing that happened in Christchurch, New Zealand. Guy goes into a mosque, shoots 17, or I'm sorry, kills 49 people, videos the whole thing, live streams it to Facebook, 17-minute video. The statement that Facebook released on this, it reads, Police alerted us to a video on Facebook shortly after the live stream commenced, and we quickly removed both the shooter's Facebook and Instagram accounts and the video. We are removing any praise or support for the crime and the shooters or shooters as soon as we're aware. First, this is uh, that, that something like this would happen is uh, is just a continued insanity of what we're seeing throughout the, the world and especially in the United States. You know, usually we have a, a shooting every day, every day, and that we see 49 people killed and that Facebook doesn't remove the video until they're notified by law enforcement about the video. The reason I bring that up is that Facebook has the tools to recognize when this type of stuff goes on. Now in the past I have complained about cybercrime happening and basically financial cybercrime being committed on Facebook about these groups, about credit card numbers being posted, all this other stuff. Uh, We see this time and time again with Facebook that data is out there data that should not be posted on Facebook is out there and it's not removed until a complaint from a higher authority comes up at that point. And that's, uh, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today is this, this whole idea of why that happens, of what we can do about it, of what should be done about it, of the problems of, of trying to do something about it. Well, and as couple things to unpack from my side. One is obviously we have our rule that we don't talk about merchants by name. However, we are not doing that because all of this is in the news. And I think that sometimes it's good to learn from other companies and their, let's call them mistakes or challenges or decisions for our own companies. And so that's why we're talking about this. And I'm Fortunately, the event that became the catalyst is really, really hard to digest. And I think something that humans are kind of incapable of really understanding the full impact of, you know, what happens like that. I know for me, it's just kind of become numb to a lot of it. But we're not trying to really harp on the tragedy that happened as much as 
what is a company's responsibility with these things? There's, you know, Facebook is a platform. There are several other platforms like it that are social media that individuals can contribute to and get their ideas and their thoughts and their motives and everything out there. But what is the corporate responsibility? What is the moral responsibility of a corporation to keep their users safe, to keep just overall people safe? I think that's more what we're talking about, but using this as an example because it's topical and in the news. And and you know, that's the, the first thing. part. I'm not sure, and and you know, I'm I'm much harder on them than uh, than than you are, and I understand your your background and everything on on that, but <laughs> I I am not sure that Facebook has any moral compass whatsoever when it comes to this kind of stuff. We've seen this with uh, we've seen it with credit card fraud. We've seen it with the election process. We've seen it with with uh, child porn being posted, with murders being posted, with cops being shot and it being live streamed, with this latest shooting as well. We've seen this time and time again, and you know as well. I mean, they've got the algorithms to recognize mm-hmm. this stuff. As a matter of fact, today I read that Facebook implemented this this new algorithm that can recognize in an instant this revenge porn when it's posted. Now, if you can recognize when revenge porn is posted, I know that you can recognize when someone's being shot online. Hmm. Yeah. I So I will say that it doesn't mean that I don't have the exact same feelings as you. I just try to be a little more dip- Like, it doesn't mean that I don't think that it is irresponsible from a moral and ethic perspective. I think that our country and the governance and laws for various reasons, everything from lobbying to priorities to not understanding technology is way behind the times, especially behind Europe in regulating technology. And so really what it comes down to is that businesses, it's up to them to decide what they're going to allow on their platforms and and not. And I want to correct what you said just a little bit that I know a lot of people that work there. I know a lot of people that have worked there. And I've even talked to Mark Zuckerberg a few times. Now, this was, you know, over 10 years ago when he was like 20, (laughs) you know, he was basically 12, but he was like, you know, in his early 20s and barely had a platform. They were just moving it to be public off of um, universities. So, I mean, I will never claim to know him, you know, personally well or anything. I try to see it from all sides. And what I would want to say first is that I know that the people that work for Facebook are are good. I The people who are on the fraud team, the chargeback team, the payment team, the trust and safety team, I know that they have, that, that they're fighting battles internally that you and I would also fight. Absolutely. I know that they haven't, that they're not saying that they prescribe to the belief system of their founder who says that they are not a media company and therefore they are not responsible for the content. I know that they take their jobs very seriously. And I even know that there's a lot of things that they keep off or take off of Facebook that we don't see. Unfortunately, the things that we do see are still pretty bad. And we're, again, we're picking on them because it's public. There's a lot of other companies that have very similar issues. It's just not public, so we're not naming them. But I think it's important to to first separate the people that are working on these specific issues from the people who are making the decisions at the top that influence what they can and can't do. You know, I agree with you on that. I I think that, and I know people that work at Facebook as well, and not not as many as you do, 
but they're great people. They are, they are great people and they try hard to get the job done. Uh, and I think a lot of it is, as you said, it comes from the top on. As, as I'm, I'm sure you're probably aware of that Zuckerberg, I mean, the re, uh, excuse me, the, the Register re- reported in 2010 that Zuckerberg had a conversation in 2004 about the initial users of Facebook. And his, his response to what those initial users were was he, quote, called them dumb fucks for even trusting him with their, their data. So when you've got somebody that is actually building the company, running the company, so you've got that head and everything bleeds down from the head. So even mm-hmm. though you've got the workers that are sitting there saying, you know, we need to do this, we need to do this. When you've got an idea from the head that all of your users are idiots for even trusting you with that data, that's the problem, I think. Well, that and also knowing the background and the previous accomplishments of Sheryl Sandberg, as much as I... Yep. Love the concept of leaning in and, and uh, the things that she brought to attention and the forefront with that book, knowing her experience and her expertise on data and, you know, profiting off it, monetizing it, collecting it, using it, you know, and attitudes upon that in her previous roles makes me have a different perspective. I think just overall, you know, I, I don't think that companies fully understand how much people trust them. With their information, with their, you know, kids' birthday pictures, with their, you know, their, what they had for dinner, you know, all those things that they're putting out there. And I think that, you know, I should say, like, I, I use Facebook, I use it to keep in touch with family and friends that don't live nearby. And quite honestly, the last year, I've been so busy with work, I barely have a social life. But I'm extremely conscious about what I post. And a lot of it is, you know, silly nonsense or whatever. And honestly, I don't post that much at all anymore either. Because <laughs> I don't have time. I, be- I don't even think I've opened we the app. We don't have time for that week. crap anymore. <laughs> no, ain't nobody got time for that. No, I mean, literally, I don't think I've even opened the app in a week. And it's just because if I'm going to open social media, it's usually LinkedIn. That's just where I'm at in my life. I think I'm consciously aware of what I also am not only consciously aware of, you know, where my data is going when it's done. Like, I mean, I even know somebody that worked or a friend of a friend worked on a project for them where it captured the words that you were putting in your status, even if you didn't publish it. So you like how like, you know, if you just you start writing something, they're like, oh, I don't actually want to share that with, you know, my friends or whatever, then you delete it. They're capturing that, too. So like they're capturing everything. Um, I also have my profile on private and you can't find me unless you're friends with somebody that knows me like there's I have as many privacy filters as I can. I think I'm a different user than most. What And I also think what's really important is I know what to believe and not to believe on what's being posted and shared and everything else. Oh, now you've opened a can of worms there. Oh, I knew if I didn't do it, you would too. Oh, you uh, knew it was coming. I did. Yeah. So I figured why not be the one that started. But, you know, there's a lot. And I think, though, that that's a little bit squishier for them to police than, you know, what you're talking about. So maybe actually before we fully open that lid, why don't we just say that there are the things that can be filtered, things like violence, things like you know, I mean, to your point, if they're able to create an algorithm to identify revenge porn, they can probably identify when a gun is being used or a bomb or children are involved or, you know, all these different things that happen that are just so gross. And I do personally feel like that is a moral obligation that a company has. However, there are no governmental laws in the U.S. for it. And even in the in other markets where there are a lot more restrictive rules over technology, I don't believe that there's any 
formal expectation for what a company does when something like this is posted. And so I think that the stance that this company has made, and I know this from conversations with former and current employees as well, is if we don't have to do it, we're not going to do it. And it's twofold. One is, why should we put all of our efforts and hire people and stuff to do something that we don't have to do by law? The other idea is, if we start doing some of this and then one thing slips through, we no longer have plausible deniability. We no longer can say, oh, we didn't know about it because we've been doing something about it. And that's the answer that we've gotten from at least one person I've actually heard from a few people that there were a lot of things that they were trying to get under control, you know, in, in their role that they just couldn't because the lawyers were saying, look, if you start to police that specific thing now and then something doesn't get caught, we can't say, oh, we don't have a policy about that. Oh, we didn't know. So, so I'm not saying, just for the record, not saying this is okay, not saying I agree with it. I'm just trying to represent, you know, the other side so it's not, you know, I'm just being diplomatic. <laughs> and because I think a lot of our merchants understand true. that. Their hands so, are so, you know, if, you, if, if, if anyone out there has watched the uh, – the congressional interviews with Zuckerberg. This, there was this huge question that kind of addressed that. What type of company is Facebook? Right. Are you a publisher? Are you content provider? What are you exactly? And Zuckerberg was always very adamant about trying to avoid that. And that's one of these things. So if you get into really editing, being an editor, saying what can be posted, what cannot, at that point, you're culpable for a lot of this stuff. Right. But, you know, the problem that's is... That's why he doesn't though, want to be called a media company. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, the problem with that is, is that... Facebook does that anyway. They've got over 15,000 of these Facebook moderators, they call them cognizance, that do nothing but their entire job is to parse through these posts, these, these, these pictures and everything else to see if they're allowed on Facebook. So they're already doing that. So that, that's one of the things. And I understand, yeah, the lawyers up there, and I, again, the employees, I think the employees are great. The head guy, not so much. The lawyers, well, there's there's a special place in hell for lawyers. So, <laughs> you know. Depends on the on the law that they specialize in, but I think that most of our listeners that work for companies with legal team could probably relate. I mean, I do think there are some great ones, and sometimes they really protect you on reading through the contracts <laughs> and everything else. But yeah, I mean, in this case, I do feel like the lawyers are kind of they're just going by the letter of the law and. I think that it's important for companies that, you know, host public content to have some clear lines on what they can and can't, you yeah. know, what, right. what's their moral responsibility because absent of law, that doesn't make it right. Or it still Absolutely. doesn't just because there's a law doesn't mean that it's, it's good if you follow it and bad if you don't. And just because there isn't a law, it doesn't mean that, you know, so I think that it's important for that. And I think that, for the things that you can police, like these types of things, I'd imagine with technology out there, especially with AI and everything else, that they'd be able to recognize when a gun's being shot or recognize when, you know, there's a bomb. So I think that that is where their responsibility is. I think when it comes to that can of worms I opened a little a few minutes ago um, with, you know, fake postings, it's not just about like political stuff, guys. It's like 
how many oh my gosh i saw this post the other day on facebook that i saved on my phone because i'm probably going to end up posting it on linkedin because it just made me go are they seriously doing this still and do people still fall for it so this person posted i'm sifting through all of the screenshots wow i've taken a lot of pictures lately shoot ah i gotta find it now um <laughs> Oh my gosh, I saved it on my phone so that I could like find it easily and it's oh, not geez. Right. Oh, geez. Right? when that happens, you're like, ah, but let me just, I, I know I'm close. So let me see here. Cause I know where to find it. Well, I you're looking for that. I think, I think that you and I can at least agree that, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're, when you're dealing with one of the largest companies on the planet mm -hmm. that, and certainly you stand a chance of being sued, but regardless of whether you stand a chance of being sued, you should be viewed as the company that says, at least we tried to do something. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a large problem that's going on with Facebook right now. It's, 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 they haven't tried to do something. They've waited until they've been forced to do something. Well, and to pick on another company <laughs> that has a team <laughs> sure, as well. Not? Well, it's public too. So, you know, Equifax, right? So oh, like, geez. you know, we like, they can't, you know, they, they can't say they tried either because part of the reason why everyone's so upset is because they knew about it for months. And what Absolutely. did they do during those months? They sold their shares. They lobbied Congress to make sure that they wouldn't, you know, be liable. They wouldn't get a class action lawsuit. Like, it's kind of ridiculous, but that's that's where we're at now. I want to commend yeah. you. We, hand, we handled that first segment like that, talking, and we never got into the gun debate or anything else, even though I kind of threw its ass out there. So, <laughs> I've got to commend you on that. Well, <laughs> you know that we had a little chat about that beforehand, because I was like, I don't want to get into our political stances. I mean, I'm sure it can probably be inferred, just even, at least for mine, whenever yeah, anyone knows. I live in Seattle, they just assume. Um, and they're probably <laughs> oh, right. So, right. Well, right. I know, yeah, you're, a, you're an outlier. Um, <laughs> I, will, but, I will say that as a felon, I'm not allowed to have any weapons, but my wife is acquiring quite the arsenal. <laughs> are you allowed to have them in your house yes absolutely as long as oh. you're locked away from me <laughs> but you wouldn't want them anyway exactly i don't use guns no but they're there in <laughs> case they're needed <laughs> well i'd imagine michelle uses at least one of them to keep you in line <laughs> like don't make me get them. exactly, exactly. <laughs> um okay so after all that i finally found this that i saved on my phone the other day because i was just like I think what bothers me more is that people actually fall for it still and that the reason why this stuff happens is because people fall for it. So somebody random that barely has any followers, it was and this wasn't even on Facebook. This was like on uh, Instagram and then it got shared on Facebook too. It says your 16 digit credit card number is how much money you have. The expiration date is when you'll find true love. The three-digit code on the back is your new lucky number. Post your results below. Gosh, gotta love that. There, at the time I took this screenshot, there were over two thousand comments. Oh, you gotta love that. Do you want to? Do you want to guess how many people actually put in their full card number, expiration date, and CVV on that post? How many? <laughs> A lot. I didn't A lot. count. There were also people putting in fake numbers and thinking that they were so funny. But what they don't understand is as soon as you comment or like any of these posts from people that you don't know, that can be tracked, right? And it's sure. called like farming. And then there's also kind of creates a sucker list also for more fraud and everything else. And we've talked about that on previous episodes as well. And I think it was more for the consumer facing ones. That's the kind of stuff that it's like, really, like, 
I know not to fall for that. I know exactly what their motivations are. And I get angry when I see that. And this is a non-political post, which is why I picked it. Because there are a lot of political posts that also get posted that anger me because they're not founded in fact. And that's, I know that that's what you talk about. Like, that's what you mean when you talk about perception and reality. It's that social media has created this perception and that matters more than what the actual reality is. And and here's, here's what I think is the, the really dangerous thing about that. And, and to show how this thing actually works, let's, let's segue over to Amazon for a second and talk about the review system on Amazon. Now, so we did a show. Let's just throw everyone under the bus. Absolutely. So, but, you know, we did a show <laughs> that, about, that mentioned that Amazon reviews, 70% of them are estimated to be fake. So 70% of Amazon reviews are fake. So I, do you shop on Amazon? I do all the time. I have Amazon same day, and I literally just got a text that I have two boxes on my porch. There you go. Outstanding. I mean, yesterday I ordered something at 10 a.m., and it was on my porch at 5 p.m. Yeah, see, it's, I'm in Alabama. We don't do I know. the same day thing. It's awful. It's very enabling, and not everything is eligible for that. There are several, and they actually, it's almost, it's a gig economy, so they actually hire random oh, people, not random people, okay. but... You don't get like a delivery truck. You get like somebody in their, you know, Honda Accord pulling up and dropping off your Amazon box. So you get these strangers <laughs> coming to your door. Yes. Yeah. And we live on a private road. So, uh, yeah. I feel love kinda, it. You know, they're always like, wait, pass the dead end sign? Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's interesting. But yes, well, I do. I bring that up. So, so, so when we, when, when I buy something off Amazon, I read the reviews and typically the reviews that I look for are the negative reviews. All right. And I've used this example in the past. So I was buying one of these mini SD cards and there were several negative reviews for the sellers that said they're counterfeit SD cards. All right. Now I know, I know consciously, I know that 70% of those interview, those reviews are fake. So the chances of, of those reviews that are, that are, that are saying that they're counterfeit cards being fake is pretty high. But still, the, me knowing that they're fake still influences my decision-making process. All right, so, so take that in mind, and then let's switch back over to Facebook and talk about these, you didn't want to bring up political posts, but why not bring up political posts? I don't care if it's left-wing or right-wing. Say weird stuff on either side, but if you're, if you're, if you're bombarded with enough of it, it has an influence on your decision-making process. No, that's absolutely true. And I think what's also really challenging is that like the internet just kind of crept up on us, right? It's only, you know, really people have only been using it in this way the last 10 years. I mean, we could expand on that more, but a lot of the companies that are huge now have, you know, been around for less than 20 years. To my knowledge, there really aren't any big trainings for consumers, right? So ARP does a great job because seniors are so susceptible to, you know, fraud and scams and everything else and, you know, reading fake news. Like I remember my grandma, I mean, she's been she's been gone for several years, but she was one of the first, I mean, I'm pretty sure she's one of the oldest people ever to use Facebook. Like <laughs> she was 87 and on Facebook every wow. day. And mostly to keep up with her grandchildren. A lot of my cousins are world travelers and, you know, one teaches scuba diving in Thailand and one's a musician and like they're all over the place. Like they actually travel more than I do and mostly for fun, whereas mine's for work, you know, keeping up on everyone and the great grandkids and everything else. 
And I think she was one of the only people in her assisted living in a very small town in Washington that had Wi-Fi. <laughs> but, <laughs> but she told me, like, she made a comment once that said, oh, well, I tried this or I clicked on the advertisement from her town newspaper because they, they work with them. And, and basically her impression was because there was an advertisement on the newspaper online for her local newspaper, that that advertiser was a trusted source with the newspaper sure. and that the newspaper was endorsing that company and it was not legitimate. And so like having to explain that to an 87 year old who has trusted everything that their local newspaper has ever said up until this point right. was extremely challenging. There's not like a set standard standard of information that gets provided to consumers. And that's something that you and I actually have a big passion for. And we've been talking about how we can shift and provide a lot of information to consumers as well in a palatable way, because when we tried to do a few episodes to consumers before at the advice of our agent who we love very much <laughs> we just realized that consumers don't really you know you guys will tune in to 45 minutes to an hour about us talking about one subject on fraud but they just want to know what do i need to know and then i'll move on and so you know we're talking about that and everything but there's just not a lot of education out there right so uh, most consumers don't know that you shouldn't share a post from somebody that you don't know they don't know how to suss out if something is fake or real they still trust a lot of what they read on the internet no matter their age and so i think that's a huge challenge and i do think that that speaks even more for the responsibility of a company to come in and say okay we recognize that you don't know how to keep yourself safe but we're going to try to keep you safe absolutely absolutely and you know that's i mean i just i don't want to think about all this stuff i really don't i mean it's so overwhelming when you when you consider the power that media has, and I, I you know, I, I think I've talked to you and uh, a couple other people about this this entire idea that I've got in my head that's been that's kind of fishing around in there for a paper <laughs> of of you know you take this a media segment or just one one media source and how much that can influence someone, whether it be review systems or politics or anything else like that, and and. Why not? Again, why not dive into politics? <laughs> I keep trying to get you there, so we'll see if we get you there. Scratch. <laughs> but but look, I, 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 and I'm not trying to. to You're the devil on my specific. shoulder, and I'm the angel on your shoulder. <laughs> but, but I'm, not to, I'm really not trying to target a specific group. If if someone's only media source is news. Their outlook, their perception of reality is going to be completely different from someone whose only media source is CNN or MSNBC or Facebook. They're, it's just a different perception of reality. So it's, it's this whole thing of what is truth compared to what's facts because both of them are talking facts. It's just how they're skewing them to get the perception that they want to have their viewers to have. Right. No, Absolutely. I think for me, I just stay away from politics because, A, I know not everybody feels the same way I do. And I don't want that to, like, you know, turn anyone off or, you know, anything else. And, B, this is a fraud podcast and not usually about politics. So that that's why I keep steering away from it. But I do think that in the last four years, it 
has become all consuming. And I think that there, there are. You go. There you go. You're, you're, you're taking, you're taking me by my hand now. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, <laughs> I'm more on my hand on your shoulder. Like, okay, well let's try to like pull this back a little bit. Right. Come on the dark side. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. People tell me that it's good that I keep you in line. I don't, I don't know if I'm doing a very good job this time. Well, I've <laughs> just got this out of my mind, you know. It's, I've been so upset. No, I know. And I think, today. honestly, though, no matter what you believe, I think that what you're saying is that you can really find all kinds of things to justify your position. Right. And, and sometimes those are good things and sometimes those are bad things. And sometimes they're true and sometimes they're not. And I think that's the risk, right? And so Absolutely. what's the responsibility of a company – to ensure that they're not putting their own political spin on something, like if they're not a media company, right? So like if it's not CNN, MSNBC, et cetera, in my opinion, there are media outlets that aren't as responsible about, you know, verifying the truth, Absolutely. but that are considered media. But <laughs> I think that. I'll bet you could name some, couldn't you? I'm not walking down that path. Not even not even going there. <laughs> not taking the bait. <laughs> not today, Satan. I'm just kidding. Just say not it. calling you just Satan. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> there what is the responsibility of an online company that is a platform, right? Or anything of keeping people safe. Even if you just have reviews on your website, right? Like maybe it's not like social media. There's reviews on your website or you have Buyers and sellers in your marketplace that talk back and forth to each other. Like, what is your responsibility in policing that? And I think that the other thing that is really important to mention while we're talking about this is more and more you're seeing trust and safety teams pop up. And people that have kind of grown up in fraud are like, what is this? And I think that it really trust and safety teams are were started by digital companies, right? So companies that just came online, they're not traditional retailers that also have a website. Their entire business is online. Because they realized that if we're going to facilitate people staying in each other's homes, or if we're going to facilitate people riding in other people's cars, or we're going to facilitate dog walkers, or whatever else we are doing, it is our responsibility to do whatever we can to keep our users safe and to keep their trust. Absolutely. And that trust is a currency. It may not be, you know, monetary, but it is connected to mon to monetary funds for sure. And so I think that it's important. And now under the trust and safety umbrella is fraud prevention. But it, there's also so many other facets of it. And it's a different perspective, too, because you're not just looking at keeping the bad guys out. You're looking at keeping the good guys safe and keeping the good guys protected from what they don't know is out there or what they don't you know, they don't know any better. And I think that all of this that we're talking about, you know, from fake news to fake reviews to violence and ex just, you know, exploitive things that are out there fall under that realm. With you. Yeah. And that's, I think that, you know, it's really, it's more of a trust and safety thing. And then how do you create rules and laws? Because I believe that most people that are in trust and safety that are seeing that the grossest of the gross and all of those things, the dangers that are out there, they're talking to their legal. They're talking to their leadership saying, hey, we need to have these laws in place. We need to have these rules in place. We need to do this, this and this. That's their number one job. But they're only looking at that small subset. The people at the top are looking at the bottom line and the opportunities out there. And so 
they may make a different decision than the people that really care about this. And I think that's just something I want to make sure we explain. But I think that it's also important to understand that the worst thing that can happen is what you're trying to avoid in a trust and safety situation is exactly all the headlines that Facebook has had in the last two months. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it's the whole thing. I, and I, I agree with you. So whether it's social media, retailers, whatever type of organization or institution or company it is, the, the idea that it is, first and foremost, we know that 99% of the users are legitimate users. They're there. They're using the platform exactly like they're supposed to use it. They're not committing fraud. They're not trying to skew people's perception or anything else like that. But I think that what we have to do is, and I hate to go back into politics, but we had this president a few decades ago that he had this one quote that said, trust but verify. Trust but verify. So we trust the users, but we also need to verify what's going on. And that, and that's that, that, only, that, that not only pertains to companies, but to people, too, when, when someone reads a news report or a post or something like that, your, your, your inclination is to trust that post. But at the same time, your responsibility is to verify that that post is accurate. And I think both that applies to both consumers and to corporations. Absolutely. And I think it's important for people in trust and safety to say, like, maybe to look at this example and say, look, if we don't take care of this, this is what can happen. Absolutely. I understand that you lawyer, you, you know, leadership are looking at this, but just know that if we aren't our own police, if we aren't the ones that are putting in some boundaries and some rules and consequences and all the things that come into a kind of a societal structure, then this is what can happen. Ironically, my daughter just finished reading Lord of the Flies. Oh, and that so book. that kind of reminds me, <laughs> honestly, of like the way technology is right now. Yep. There's not a lot of rules. And there's a lot of money being pumped into lobbies to make sure that there still won't be any rules. And again, it's not the people who are listening to this podcast's fault or anything else. It's, you know, you guys have a job to do and you're working for the company you work for. But I do think that this is what happens when there aren't rules, just like in Lord of the Flies, when there isn't, you know, things. And because a company can look and say, well, there's not a rule, so I don't have to. I mean, that'd be like my daughter saying, well, you never said I couldn't jump off a cliff. Well, right. But that doesn't mean <laughs> you should, you know, like that was just the first example that came to mind. I'm sure there's better ones, you know, just because I didn't tell you that there's this line, this line, that line, that line doesn't mean that you can do it, right? Well, you know, um, I like uh, the, the example that you gave, the uh, the metaphor of trust being currency. Mm -hmm. I think that's outstanding. I really do. Because if you if you look at all these companies, you know, Equifax had a, had a great name. They had a lot of trust built up, a lot of currency in the bank. And then everything went haywire. <laughs> and now they're going to have to regain some currency in that trust bank. If you look at uh, companies like EA, EA at one point was was one of the most respected gaming companies. Now it's the most despised. Really? So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I because I've worked with them for years. I, I know they they're they they great. Yeah. And what happens now with an EA game? The game is released and it's buggy as hell, and it takes a good six, eight, twelve months to fix it. And after it's been released for six, eight, twelve months, you can buy a good product. <laughs> so you know, it's like okay, you've got this trust built up and you're squandering it. Uh, the, the latest example is this company, BioWare. You know, BioWare comes out uh, with Anthem, and there was, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, 
forgot the other game that came out right before that. But before those two games came out, they had all this gamers trusted them more than anybody. So these last two games have been complete crap. All that trust is just squandered away. All that currency that they built up is just squandered away. Well, so there's some, have, I mean, there's a graveyard of companies that oh, have, yeah. have lost trust. And actually, there's I, – I feel bad because I'm taking away a little bit of his thunder, but – um, we're going to be interviewing my friend Kevin, who used to work for Facebook soon. Uh, full disclosure, actually, we interviewed him last week, and it was amazing. Um, and then Brett sent me a text saying, um, it didn't record. <laughs> it was so, it was amazing. Dude, it was such a good, I know, I know. Was, yeah. But we're going to do it again <laughs> when all three of us have a good schedule, which is going to be tough. There's so many reasons why I wanted to bring Kevin on, but he's worked for Google Square and Facebook and in trust and safety and just has such a good perspective on all of this. And he said something that I literally wrote on a post-it note and I looked up on my computer screen just now and saw it there and I was like, I think this is a good time to say it. So he says that a coach told him this. So I'm giving credit to Kevin and Kevin will give credit to a sports coach from high school. But I love this phrase so much and I think it's so important in e-commerce. And that is trust is earned in drops, but it's lost in buckets. Yeah, that's true. That's so, you know, you earn trust over the years and it's little bit by little bit by little bit. And then something happens and it's all gone. And I think that's just good in life. But it's so true right now in, in e-commerce. There's a lot of – look at what happens to companies when there's a data breach, right? When there's a public data breach. There's right. so many companies that have breaches that get away with, you know, not having to formally report it based on the size and everything else. How many people didn't shop at Target or Home Depot after there was a breach? Whereas yeah. I was saying, hey, it's probably the safest place to shop this Christmas, <laughs> like afterwards. <laughs> you know, I'm of I'm of that opinion with you. That's obviously after a breach or or so the breach example is great. The example I use with my wife, you know, we had that uh, Costa Concordia cruise ship that that wrecked a few years ago, and I was like, you know, right now is when you want to book with that company because they're completely safe and cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and then we I had don't know Romanian. if I'd go that far. Well, we had Does that the, mean you're you know, going to book the... a flight on Ethiopian Air <laughs> right. as well? But we had sorry, yeah. bad joke, too soon. But we we had the uh, the cantaloupe scare, the romaine lettuce scare, and in both instances, I'm like, right now is when you need to buy those products because you can guarantee <laughs> they're going to be great. They're fine now. <laughs> there was a lady that lives nearby me that was online on our local buy nothing group, begging everyone to send or to drop off the romaine lettuce that they couldn't eat. Because of E. coli, because she wanted to feed it to her pig. <laughs> oh, geez. Not a bad Yeah, idea. she's like, he can't get E. coli. Please. <laughs> Don't throw it in the garbage. Right. It's also Seattle, right? So we're all about sustainability <laughs> oh, and no. reusing Bring it things. Door. He'll do something with it. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, I mean, I wouldn't say it's safe, like, during the outbreak, but they do have to test it quite a bit right after before they say it's okay. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, same kind of thing, right? So, like... I always say like, no, they're actually the safest, but there were so many people that once that, I mean, the funny thing is they didn't worry about it before the breach, which was actually when the data was being, right. you know, harvested because they didn't know. But then once you know, it's like, oh, well, I'm not shopping there. Well, but that is in the past. Yeah. Now so, you can guarantee everything's locked down tight. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think like moral of all of this is really you know, it's important to think about the trust that your customers and your users put in your product and in your company. And it's important to try to not only earn that trust, but keep that trust and be ahead of the curve. Don't wait for government to 
catch up before, you know, you do something like think about the implications of not doing something, right? What What's the worst that can happen? Or think about the implications of doing something. And there's always going to be stuff that still happens. But to your point earlier, if there's a company that's honestly trying, their users generally feel like, oh, okay, I know they have my best interest in heart. Absolutely. It actually just reminded me of there's two different apps for a service where people come to your house and I'm, I'm not going to say these specifics because you'll know exactly which two. And I know that one of the, <laughs> the one that I'm about to throw under the bus is <laughs> listen sometimes. So I'm like, gotta be careful, but they come to your house and do something. Maybe it's clean your house. Maybe it it's legal. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, they come to your house to, you know, give you a massage or, you know, whatever else it is, a legal massage, no uh, happy ending. Well, you know, I took I was the going. words out of your, you know oh, I, I know. Mm. <laughs> yes. Like I said in a previous episode, I just think about what a 14 year old boy would say and I know you're about to say. That's true. But, uh, Mentally, I'm right at a 14 year old. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And you're the parent of one too. So it's great. No, I just, <laughs> I knew where you're headed. But like, you know, they're doing something at your house house and there is some safety and vulnerability there one of them does background checks on every person that comes they post reviews if there's ever any claim that something bad happened they never get to use it again like they're very and they're very upfront and they like share you know hey this is what we've done to vet that this person's okay and i used them once and had someone of the opposite sex come actually to a hotel room that really sounds bad but okay now i just have to say what it is don't I? oh my gosh what what hole did i just get myself into um i just you're just laughing because i just dug it just picked up a shovel I'm not started saying anything. i know but your laughter took it all um and apparently, according to our one of our friends that listened to us across the pond, if you listen to Brett at 1.5 speed, he sounds like a fairy uh, laughing, <laughs> I really need to try to do. <laughs> I'll have to do that. I know. I thought that was really funny feedback. Anyway, I digress. So I, I have chronic pain. I don't talk about it very often. It is really challenging for me when I travel my fibromyalgia and other issues. And I try very, very hard not to have it impact me in my professional life. I have doctors and practitioners and all kinds of stuff that I do to help with that. Um, Cause I'm just not somebody that can sit still as we all learned when Cree said pneumonia. Um, and so I, but sometimes when I travel, I have quite a bit of pain, especially after long flights. So last summer, I had heard, so I'd, I'd seen several advertisements for a service that sends licensed massage therapists to you, whether it's in your hotel room or your house or wherever. And you can select a couple gender. From a company like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, you can pick the gender, you can pick, you know, all those things. So I sure. tried picking a female, but I, of course, was like last minute notice. Like, I want them to come here in an hour because I wasn't sure what I was doing that night and everything else. And I didn't know if I'd be free. And so they called me and said, hey, we actually don't have a female, but we have a male, but he's great. And, did a, and they literally listed off like, look, we've done a background check. He's worked on over, uh, I think it was like 122, like exactly like women. She's like, wow. I've talked to him on the, you know, like done, you know, or uh, massages for 122 clients. I guess it didn't matter about gender, but like, and nobody's had a single bad thing to say. She's like, I've talked to him on the phone and he seems like a very nice guy. And like all they did all this background and she like shared that with me and was like, gave me the feeling that he was trustworthy. Now, was it kind of funny to send my husband a text that 
there was a strange man coming up to my hotel room to give me a massage. Yeah, I'm very grateful that my husband trusts me and just probably rolled his eyes and was like, whatever. You see, the um, company was trying to do the right thing. And, they and it were, and they built my trust. And they, and right. also, like, I read through all of the FAQs and the policies and stuff, and they're like, if anything ever happens, this is what you do. Like, they really, they, they built my trust in feeling like, I mean, when would I ever be okay with, I mean, maybe some people would be, but for me, when would I ever be okay with a strange man coming to my hotel room? you know, to give me a massage, but they gave me the trust to feel like that was okay. Now there is another competitor that I don't think is doing as well because it's not as, I think that they're trying because I, I know some of the people that work there or I know of them and I've talked to them a few times, but I think that they haven't done, and this is as of eight months ago, so I could be very wrong now, but at the time I compared both services and okay. one had a lot more about safety and building trust that made me feel good. And the other one did not. And I think that when you are, have these kind of services, it's super important to make sure that people can trust you because that's a really vulnerable position to be in. I mean, I was Absolutely. by myself and not <laughs> wearing a lot of clothing. Like, I mean, it's really vulnerable. Um, that's why I felt like I was like, okay, I have to just say what it was for or else you're really going to think that I'm doing crazy. <laughs> traveling for conferences. But it's what helped me be able to wake up early the next day and put in 16 hours, you know? See, so you I have little tricks and tips about how I have, sometimes I just have to do that. And that never used to be me, but unfortunately I worked so hard at the beginning of my career and never took care of myself that my body was like, okay, so we're just going to make you So I have to think about that. But you know, all those kinds of companies that are, that are popping up, they're great and they're wonderful. And, but I think even if you're not in one of those companies that is a marketplace type or gig economy or all those other things, I still think it's super important for you to think about how can we ensure that our customers continue to trust us? Because the more they trust us, the more money they spend and the more lifetime value we have with them and the less headlines we're in. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, money is the motivator, putting it in those contexts in the conversations you have within your company could be very beneficial as opposed to just kind of coming across as a chicken little and, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you need to, you know, this is going to happen. That's more like, okay, so let's worst case scenario it. If something bad happens and there's a headline or there's a tweet that gets picked up, what are people going to think our responsibility was in this? And how much money are we going to lose because of that headline? So that's kind of, you know, my takeaway there on, on, <laughs> all of that that we just we went on all kinds of tangents it was such a we did but it was good it was good it was it was cathartic <laughs> well i'm glad you got that off your chest because you know oh don't don't worry i've not got it off yet it's still, oh, it's still bubbling i, have, I know well, you every know single day but like i said i mean like i said i think last week or whatever it's kind of funny for me because you you were a criminal you were breaking the law and you can come in and say, hey, it kind of feels like these guys are doing, you know, similar as me. You know, it's not like you're like you have almost more of a sense of justice about all of this than I think I do, which is crazy because I have a pretty big sense of justice. It's, it's kind of like I hate to say it, but it's kind of like, you know, these 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 reformed, you know, turned turned around alcoholics. Right. That are t you know, They're the worst to take to point. a bar. <laughs> well, absolutely. I'm telling you about your liver condition and what's happening to your exactly, body and exactly. irresponsible decisions you're about to make. <laughs> you know, one of the worst it is things like that, I, though. 
We didn't mention it at the at the beginning of the podcast, but you know, I, I was at RSA last week. Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> and, uh, I I forgot that this rant was coming, but oh yeah, I, 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 just, I think I it's important. Put this out there. I, I think it's important. Put it out. Yeah. But uh, so I, you know, I, I for my first RSA, and make no mistake, I'd been looking forward to it. I did a uh, did a gig for Jumio while I was there. I did the eFraud Global Forum and did a. Uh, an event for my tech while I was there as well. You were very busy. But, <laughs> very busy. I mean, and I really, had, honestly, you bar- uh, like you didn't respond to text messages half as much as you usually no, do, no, and no, that's no, when no. I know you're super busy. <laughs> and I had uh, I had about three hours to hit the uh, the RSA Expo floor, so um, get the taxi down, or actually the Uber down there, and I get on the floor, and it's just I mean, it's just it's like a big I mean, just the biggest thing on the planet. So. Uh, yeah, I'm going up and down the aisles, and you know you've got you've got guys up there that are dressed in straight jackets trying to escape the straight jackets. You've got people that are handing out toy swords. You've got you've got all. I know there stuff. was people with like stacks of cash and stacks of cash. The, I had one 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 provider. They waved a thousand dollars in front of me. You want to register to win a thousand dollars? I mean, it was like a circus, and it occurred to me that if I now now they're all cybersecurity people, but it occurred to me that if Brett Johnson was on that floor doing that, that I would be viewed a lot differently than these other people doing this. So why is anyone trying to make a circus or some sort of entertainment show out of cybersecurity? When you when you think about what, what really happens to the victims of cybercrime, there shouldn't be this this whole thing of entertainment. It's it's a serious affair. And I understand that you're trying to you're you're trying to get people to come to your booth. You're trying to, you know, win over everybody and get them to sign up as as potential leads and everything else like that. But I I, I really believe that cyber cybercrime and cybersecurity they work in the same way. It's kind of like this field of dreams type concept. If you build it, they will come. If you have a good product, you don't have to have a circus type environment to get customers. That's what I fully believe, and I, I just it really disappointed me. Well, and I feel like it cheapens it, right? Like these are the people who are like the soldiers and like the, or not the soldiers, but like security for people, right? These are the people who are responsible for keeping consumers data safe. These are the yeah. guards, right? The, that's what I meant to say, guards instead of soldiers. So these are the guards at the, at the door. And was, to see them everyone. make a mockery of, and right, right it wasn't everyone, but to see them kind of make a mockery of it or make it fun or make it, I understand that, you know, uh, with you know, how many, how many hundreds of vendors there were, they need to stand out from each other. It's very different than the frog conferences I go to. Like, I was like, wow, the pictures I saw, I was like, man, we're kind of boring on the frog side. <laughs> but at the same time, I think boring's good because I think it's important to have a little bit of a somber tone at a conference because we need to, at the end of the day, recognize that our responsibility is to keep people safe, whether that's keep people's credit card numbers safe, keep people's information and data safe, keep them you know, physically safe, whatever that is. It's our job in fraud and in security to keep them safe. And if you're doing all this crazy noise and not being somber, you're forgetting about that. And I guess... Yeah. That's you know, what with, bothered with me. me, it was, I, I went down there, I was, so I had some friends that were running booths and everything. So I was going to go down there and say hello to them, but I also had, you know, the, 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 the goodie bag. And my whole idea was, you know, I'll go to the booths and I'll get the t-shirts and I'll have a whole collection of these nice little RSA t-shirts when I get back. But I was mm. so, di- I was so just disenchanted with it. I, I tossed the bag. <laughs> I didn't even worry 
about trying to get any goodies whatsoever. I'm like, you know what? I can't handle it. Can't handle it. So I, I just went around to the booths of the, of the people that I knew and, you know, Hey guys, how are you all doing? And we chatted for a while. And I like, I was like, Hey, I got an event tomorrow. I got a bug, but you know, it's been great seeing you in this madness. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that coming from your perspective, it is kind of like a, a where we're alcoholic where you're like, these are the good guys. Like, this is what, <laughs> this is who I was fighting against on the other side. Like, Oh, they don't take themselves seriously. So why should I take them? You know, I, no, and that's exactly what I thought. I was like, and I would walk up and down the aisle, and, and as I was walking, I would I would kind of catalog each one as crap, 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 crap. Oh, there's a good one. Crap, 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 <laughs> like that. It, it's it's just you don't have to. I honestly believe that if you have a good product, and there again, there were several vendors on that floor that have good products. But if you have a good product, you do not have to have stage shows to get someone to come see you. They will find you. Right. That's absolutely true. 100%. Because I've had several conversations with merchants in the last couple of weeks who are preparing to go to conferences and at, doing their research and finding out who should I talk to and here's my problem, what, you know, what all that stuff. And I think that if you have a good product and you can stand behind it, I don't think you need to have people in straight jackets and, and all of that. Like I... There was a guy, he's not in the industry anymore, and I'm not using his name, but everyone's going to, everyone who's ever gone to a conference in the last like six years is going to know who I'm talking about, but who used to be very, very gimmicky for the company that he worked for. Like what? I've seen piles of money and this and that, whatever. One year he didn't buy a booth at a conference, and actually I saw him at multiple conferences that year, but he dressed up as well. Where's Waldo? Oh, and so he walked oh, around geez. conference floors of CMP, MRC, a few others, um, dressed up as Where's Waldo and knew that that would be an attention getter and maybe a conversation starter. And he was in sales, and but I always felt like that kind of cheapened what they offered. Now, I didn't think that the product was good and a lot of companies didn't. In fact, there were lawsuits and I believe they had to change their name at one point. So uh -huh. I think that that also might be kind of hand in hand, but <laughs> I just, I think that, yeah, if you have a good product, stand behind it. Don't like do all the gimmicky stuff. Now that said, I have been trying really hard to get a fraud company and I have provided this information to a couple strategic companies and nobody's done it. So I'm just going to tell the world now. <laughs> I do think it would be genius for a, a fraud provider to rent a whack-a-mole game for their booth because a, most of us are 90s and 80s kids, some, but, you know, remember going to Chuck E. Cheese and playing whack-a-mole. B, fighting fraud is like playing whack-a-mole. It leads to the conversation. So, so I will agree with you. That would be fun. But I was, but, but I don't again, think it's Brent a Johnson bad. would run a whack-a-mole game. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But I don't think that that's as bad because it's not just like waving money in their face and being crazy. It's like it's actually a lesson of like, hey, let us help you play that whack-a-mole, you know, and so it's you have a little, little moles pop up holding credit cards in their little paws. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> Maybe one I mean, and I do think it's good to like have, little, you know, like there's there's a booth last year at CMP that had an oxygen bar. And man, that was awesome for when I was tired and sore. I went to those oxygen bars when I was on the run from the federal government. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they did not relieve my anxiety whatsoever. I'll tell you that. 
Well, some anxiety is a little hard to, you know, you can't rig guilt with oxygen or anything. Well, else. there's there's some truth. <laughs> you know, so a little bit more, sorry, on topic. I heard this quote the other day from someone I was talking to, and it just popped in my head with everything you were talking about, about RSA, as well as the other things we talked about today. And it's a quote from P.T. Barnum, talk about circuses. And it said, nobody ever lost a dollar by underestimating the taste of the American public. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> I actually, I believe the person who was talking to me about that it was in reference to politics. <laughs> but I think that it, you know, has a lot of truth here too. Where it's you can't, yeah, you're not going to lose a dollar if you don't estimate underestimate the taste of the American right. public. Right. <laughs> kind of hard to, yeah. Well, look, um, we're running a little long in the tooth. You want to close this down for the day? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I know it's Friday afternoon. I have so much work to do, but I'd just much rather talk with you. <laughs> well, hey, we can catch touch base in a little bit. Let's get off. Yeah, let's let's let these poor people go. <laughs> <laughs> let our people go. Yeah, just to kind of wrap it up, like it's important. You know, it's just something to think about, right? Trust and trust and verify and all the other things. It's, it's an important part of this. And I think that just even if you are a fraud prevention department and a regular retailer, you can also help earn your customers trust by keeping fraud off of the marketplace. There was a company recently that got called out for credential stuffing. And I felt really bad for them because I happen to know that their competitor and everyone else <laughs> suffers from the same problem. <laughs> but they got thrown under the bus. And I think that that shows that fraud prevention is just as important in keeping people's trust than just these other safety issues that we are talking about. So I agree. I agree. that would be, you know, what I would say to wrap things up a little bit. <laughs> All right. That's it for our episode today. Thank you for joining us. You know, we've got so many of these topics to cover. So please tell your friends about us so that they can learn as well. You know, we're all about helping consumers and businesses protect themselves about fraud. So please rate wherever you see us. Subscribe when you can. I have no idea what I'm supposed to say here because I don't have the script in front of me. I accidentally deleted it. So I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. How is that different than usual? I'm just kidding. <laughs> to add on that, we're still doing the contest. Thank you to everyone who's been using hashtag online broadcast, sharing our posts on LinkedIn, as well as liking us on Facebook, all those other things. I'm using hashtag online broadcast so we can track it. We've been seeing it and we appreciate it. And please keep it up till the end of March. And also don't forget to please come see us at CNP Expo and use our Amen. promo FCAST because we want to see it. We're selfish, but we also know how much value that this conference has. So that's why we're saying it. But we always love hearing from you. We'd love to know what you love about the podcast. I will tell you the more topics that you ask us to talk about, the less Brett rant topics we get stuck <laughs> So, you know, just a little oh, I've got a whole list in the background. Don't worry about he, that. He does. I know. Right. So please tell us what you want to hear so we don't have to hear Brett rant as much. <laughs> Though I'm afraid that's going to backfire on me because people do love it. Let us know how we can improve and obviously what you want us to hear, hear us discuss. Find us on Online Broadcast on Facebook, <laughs> which is really ironic since is, we just got done is. talking about all this. We'll get deleted it's still now. A necessary, <laughs> I wouldn't say a necessary evil, but it's still a you know, necessary platform. Or find us individually on LinkedIn. Or email us at info at onlinebroadcast.com. Until next time, stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.